You're listening to Geekly Podcast, Episode 10, Putting the Gay in Gaming. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Geekly Podcast. I'm your host, Brad, and I'm here with my co-host, Kayla. Hey there. And we have a very special guest today. Please welcome Sarah, also known as at Street Shop Kid on Twitter. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm good. How are you? It's great to be here. Doing well. Thank you very much. Yes, we're really glad to have you on. Um, <clears throat> so why don't you, uh, for those that don't know you, t- tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I, uh, my name's Sarah. I am a 27-year-old transgender woman. I am happily married with two lovely little kids. I used to be in the Air Force. I did four years and separated last August or July, somewhere around there. And I uh, moved back to uh, home state and just been kind of living life, going back to school, doing that kind of thing. Awesome. And uh, what are you going to school for if you if you're okay telling us. I am currently going to school for business IT. Oh, okay. That'd be good. So uh, just, is that kind of like a, a specifically just helping certain like corporate companies work in their like ID department? Yeah, mostly right now. It's been like a lot of intro classes. I've only just got, went back to school last semester. Oh, okay. And uh, is that like a four program? Yes, but I do have some like credits from the Air Force that transferred over, so I'm like a year into the degree technically already. Oh, nice! Well, that's oh, good. Nice. So give you a little bit of a boost. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, what kind of hobbies do you like to do? Just uh, what do you do in your free time? I mostly play video games, PlayStation Five, mostly, uh, mostly RPGs and fighting games, and sometimes rhythm games. Uh, I also play bass, bass guitar. Been a post-punk band for a while before the military, and okay. probably gonna try and get back into that sometime soon. Just kind of hard too with the kids and everything. Hard to find time. I understand. Yeah, Kayla and I's parents also understand. Kids take up a lot of time. Yeah. Awesome, Emma. What's your favorite video game? Uh, my favorite video game is Final Fantasy X. It is... Final Fantasy X. That's my favorite Final Fantasy game. So it's, love it's so good. It's my favorite. Man, yeah, I I would argue that it's the best jrpg ever made can certainly argue that can argue yes it's all <laughs> subjective of course but I, make an argument. Um, I would agree personally but you know awesome well um today we're going to uh in celebration of pride month we're going to be talking about uh lgbtq representation in gaming which is a very important topic and i know that there's uh, a lot going on with it and so what i'm going to do today is take a step back and uh, let Sarah and Kayla kind of run the reins um, about it um, because they'll have a way better understanding of it than I would. So uh, Kayla, why don't you and Sarah kind of take it away and just uh, start jumping into it. All right. Well, so today we're kind of just going to talk a little bit about um, the uh, progress, the evolution of um, the LGBTQ representation in gaming um 
and just kind of like our thoughts on that and stuff. Um, Sarah, before we started recording, you were talking about um, some important games and uh, things that really meant a lot to you during your transition. Did you want to open up with that? Sure. I guess I can just start with like probably the game that meant the most to me on my personal journey, even though there's not really anything explicitly tied to queer culture in it, and that's uh, Final Fantasy X-2. Growing up, thinking I was just like, you know, regular boy like everyone else, um, that game was like this unashamed like celebration of femininity, and it, it really like meant a lot to me, and I didn't know why at the time, right? Was, as a young kid, I didn't really have the language to describe what I was feeling. And um, seeing the the way the characters like talk to each other and like over time, that game showed me that I was not like uh, epic boys age very clearly. Um, I don't know something about I was just drawn to like the uh, I don't know like the the dress up stuff in the combat was like super cute to me and. It was a game that was very much, like, on release, that if you liked it, you were kind of, like, the acceptable target for being made fun of, because it was very girly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people consider it a um, fan service game, and that always rubbed me the wrong way, because um, that game meant a lot to me as well, being, uh, uh, you know, like, the girly themes, the um, being open with their emotions. I really liked that uh, yeah. Yuna, regardless of, you know, being a hero and stuff, she was still very, she wasn't afraid to cry. She wasn't afraid to show love towards her friends. Yeah. And it's like, you know, because of everything that happened in Final Fantasy X, she didn't like get to live a normal childhood. And you get to kind of see her like, re like go through some things that it's would have been a younger age as like an adult and i i personally relate to that uh quite a bit because i didn't get to have like you know a stereotypically girly childhood or whatever you know i i was put into a box before i knew anything about myself you know so you really relate to yuna then right I do quite a bit. She she's more definitely more so in the second game. More so in the second game, relatable wise. Okay. But she's she became my favorite character in ten and in the original. And then I I got a like a deeper appreciation understanding with ten two. No, I agree with that. Um I think she's a really great character for showing that uh like she's just trying to figure herself out. A lot of people will compare playing that you know she does this like complete 180 but she's still you know the sweet the same sweet um caring character she's just you know she's going through changes like you said she was thrown in a box being the summoner's daughter being you know uh, a summoner herself and intent to she's really just trying to figure out who she is and what she wants yeah definitely i think that's something that a lot of people in the lgbtq community can relate to um, for one reason or another, you know. Oh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, are there any other games that mean a lot to you, or characters that um, you've 
you think are just very, very important to the uh, representation? I would like to talk about uh, probably most high profile representation we've gotten recently. That was a DLC character for the fighting game Guilty Gear Strive. They brought back a, an older character from the early games called uh, named Testament, who before Testament was like this very um, masculine body type that dressed kind of in a more androgynous way and had like this this cool scythe and stuff. And uh, Testament has been gone from Guilty Gear for quite a while. It's been like multiple games without them um, in it. And as a like surprise for the last DLC character of this last season, they brought back Testament with a totally fresh redesign, um, officially confirmed by the by Arc System Works that uh, Testament is a gender uh, non-binary, uses they them pronouns, and is voiced in the English dub by a trans woman. And it's it feels like the most like authentic and caring representation that I've seen in, in like quite a while. I was really impressed. That's um, awesome. With them. <clears throat> so, how do you feel about the evolution and um, their representation with the LGBTQ community? Like, um, I did a little bit of research, and I found out that Fallout Two, um, what? Well, Brad and I found out that Fallout Two was one of the uh, very first games that allowed um, the main character to have, like, a same-sex marriage. Um, mm-hmm. And that game's really not, I mean, it's really not too old. It's still, I would say it's fairly recent, but it came out in, what, 98? Um, what do you think about that? Like, do you think that as it's, like, it's, uh, it's getting better, or do you think... Um, it's just doing bare minimum. I think that probably a decade ago is I think when we first started to see like a not like an explosion that makes it sound like there's more than there is, but like a, a more noticeable like attempt at representation probably started like a decade ago. Um, and I think that over the past few years, it's become more authentic and um, more genuine. And as a result, there have been better portrayals. Um, it is interesting to see, like, to go back and look at older attempts at representation and see what they got right, what they got wrong, and um, kind of like viewing them through the context of when they were released, like how progressive it may or may not have been at the time. It's it's very interesting. I do I do feel like it's gotten better as we've gone on. Um, sure. Yeah, because um, we did talk a little bit before we started recording, um, and you know, back on the subject of Final Fantasy, uh, with Final Fantasy Nine coming out um, with their rumored TV show, TV series, um, and then the rumored remake and stuff, and we were talking a little bit about um, how they handled the character Quinna back then, and if they're going to change that or not uh do you think that they will or do you think they'll kind of stay with that the language that they use to refer to the character i think that they will change quinna to officially have they them pronouns 
because it feels like that was the intention with the character at the time. Just that <laughs> it wasn't as commonplace to use them. Not that it wasn't happening, but it w- certainly wasn't as prevalent as we see today. You know, people are more comfortable right. sharing and expressing those kinds of things. And it definitely feels like the character was written in a way to be gender neutral, right? So I, I definitely think yeah. that the modern lens through the original script can be looked at. I think it would be, I think I'd be disappointed if they didn't uh, use they/them pronouns for Quentin in the remake. It would feel a little. I don't want to say insulting. That might go a little too far, but it would feel a little like, um, really, if they if they didn't. I, I agree. I think it would be a little disappointing too, um, especially because it does seem like Final Fantasy is trying to make more of a stride with that. Um, I know that um, it's still a little taboo in Japanese culture, um, but it does still, especially with the uh, Final Fantasy VII remake, um, with the introduction... Oh, I can't remember. His, Aunt, Andrea? Was that his name? I can't remember. The, uh, I actually just beat. played this part of remake last night on hard mode, so it's, oh, yeah. on, it's Andrea Rodea. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, with the introduction of the character and like that whole scene and stuff and I think they handled the cross-dressing scene very tastefully too it didn't feel like it was just a giant joke it it felt so heartwarming and beautiful to me and like that scene meant a lot to me as a kid I like you know once again like not really understanding or knowing why I was doing these things I I have like a separate save file on that section of the game so I could just replay it over and over again when I wanted to I was like (laughs) I was drawn to Aww. it. I didn't know. I didn't know why I was drawn to it. You know, at the time, makes sense now. You know, years later. Right. It's it's funny how that happens in retrospect. Um, like I uh, always was very drawn to um, uh, female characters, um, especially the ones that were very like open with the. Uh, not really their sexuality, but more, I guess, more comfortable with their bodies. Um, they were very, like, strong, when, like the villains, mostly, when we were kids. They were usually right. written as villains. Um, and uh, I was always just so drawn to these characters, and I never understood that it was, like, you know, actual crushes on these characters at the time. And so it's funny looking back at that and being like, oh, yeah. I was actually in love with that character. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, okay. So then we uh, did talk a little bit to beforehand um, about how, you know, the representation is still a little small. Um, it, it's getting better, but it's definitely, oh, like I'm sure a bunch of other, like, I mean, you see it on the internet all the time people being like oh it's thrown in faces it's thrown in our faces um was absolutely ridiculous because like how many main characters in video games can you honestly name that are part of the lgbtq community you know right not not a whole lot comes to mind when you start thinking like you can maybe name like some small indie games like there's that platformer game celeste or the main character's young trans girl Oh, I'm glad you brought that up Um, because I was talking about that with Brad last night and we haven't played the game. So I didn't know if um, that was the case or not that she was uh, 
changed it. I really thought, like, I have no idea anything about that game. So that's really cool, though, that they, uh, I did hear it got good reviews and stuff like that. So that's cool that it, um, because the only other game I can think of is, like, The Last of Us. Right. That's probably the most high-profile one, right? You'd think so? Yeah, for sure. Um, And that definitely pissed off a lot of people, too. But, which is ridiculous, because they've had it written like that since the beginning. I mean, the DLC came out, like, directly after the one with her and her, uh, I can't remember her name. Oh, you know what? I am blanking on her name, too. I know I'm having such a brain fart, but you know, I, I, I literally see her in my face. I, I can see her. You know, head. she's like this cute little girl and everything, yeah. and that scene is so sad. Um, because yeah, but yeah, that DLC came out like almost directly after the game came out, so it's ridiculous that a lot of people feel like it's just being shoehorned in to Ellie's storyline. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, other than that, I really, other, like, Life is Strange, I guess. Um, Life is Strange is one of them, for sure. Yeah, with the Chloe character. Um, And I guess Max, but it's one of those things where it's like, you, your choices decide, I guess, those feelings. Yeah. It's cool that they, like, leave that choice in there for people. I think it it, it makes people feel more connected to the character. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I definitely liked that. uh, And it felt it feels very natural, no matter what you choose, you know, like they did a good job um, with that as well. Um, But yeah, other than, like you said, a bunch of indie games, it's really the indie games that are taking the lead in that. Yeah, definitely. I think there's there are a lot of LGBTQ people in game dev, and you know, for one reason or another, maybe those people have a harder time sticking at the bigger studios, but they still want to make games. So maybe they go make their own games, or maybe they feel like they can't get breakthrough into the game industry, that, and they go to make their own game independently instead. You know, I think it's a little more natural mm-hmm. to see representation in indie games. That makes sense, yeah. Um, I like, too, that a lot, like, um, did you ever play the Harvest Moon games? I played a little bit of one of the PS2 ones, not a whole lot to, like, really speak on it. Yeah, I really like that, because um, I, I loved the Harvest Moon games, um, and I was always a little disappointed that, you know, you couldn't, because I was obsessed with the pink-haired girl. And I always wanted mm. to make her my wife, but you had to be a boy character. And it used to just make me mad because I was like, I didn't want to be a boy character. Yep. So I had to be the boy character to marry the girl of my dreams. And um, so I really like that, like uh, Stardew Valley, which is an indie game. It took that premise of what Harvest Moon is and it gave you like way more options with that. So, you know, you can have same sex marriages in that game, which I really like. Yeah, my, my wife plays Stardew Valley sometimes, and I like watching her so romance, romance the NPCs. It's very sweet. <laughs> They're so cute. You know, when I first started playing it, though, uh, you definitely have to get to know these characters. Because, like, I thought everybody was so mean. And it was like, <laughs> like everybody was obsessed with the Haley character. And I was like, she makes me want to cry. <laughs> like... <laughs> 
But it is um, cute as you get to know these characters for sure. Yeah, definitely. So, um, with you know the representation being so small, like the confirmed canon stories um, and characters and stuff like that, there is a lot of like heavily implied stuff. Do you have any um, franchises or stories, characters that you look at as like a heavily implied thing? Um, that you really enjoy or that just means a lot to you? I can definitely think of a couple examples of heavily implied lesbian relationships from Final Fantasy that are not outright confirmed. It feels like they've gone and portrayed the relationship and then just like never actually officially said that it was, you know? So the two I think of are uh, Fang and Vanille in Final Fantasy 13. They very clearly have a, a lover's dynamic. Um, I, I think that's incredibly obvious to me, at least. I'm sure, mm-hmm. people will oh, say yeah. they're just gal pals or you know best friends or <laughs> mates. His, even historians would say, yeah, <laughs> they spent all their time together, writing letters and poetry and running through fields of flowers. They were best friends. <laughs> it's so sad <clears throat> that there are people that look at Fang and Vanilla, and that's really like. I mean, the first moment they're on screen and Fang's all talking about how, you know, she'll pretty much do anything to keep Vanille safe. Like, how do you not see that as anything more? Literally, I I mean, I guess spoilers for the end of Final Fantasy XIII, but they literally end the game together, like, encased in crystal, wrapped around each other, like, holding each other. Right? Like, (laughs) yes. That part makes me cry all the time. And and then... Their love for each um, other is like the base that holds up Cocoon from falling in the pulse. Mm-hmm. Very cute and very exactly. sweet. Exactly. Incredibly gay. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, so speaking of Final Fantasy thirteen, you know, and this might just be like my own little personal thing, because I don't really see a lot of people talking about it. Um, but I've always kind of looked at Lightning as being asexual. I could definitely see it. Definitely... I wouldn't be surprised to find that out about Lightning because it, it never seems like that romance or relationship or uh, anything sexual. I know that aromantic and asexual are different, but you know, sometimes the so, someone can be one or the other or both. Uh, it definitely mm-hmm. doesn't seem like yeah. that's like high on Lightning's priority list. <laughs> it, it definitely doesn't. Um, and like you said, it's not like she can't, you know. Uh, have romantic relationships or relationships in general it just like you said it really just doesn't it seems like she's more concerned about her friends and her family um mm-hmm. being a badass goddess like mm-hmm. and punching yeah. her, her brother-in-law in the face <laughs> hey he deserves it you know a couple times i love snow times. but yeah you know that would also times, be okay. that would be <laughs> yeah Maybe a couple more, yeah. more than that. Like, that's definitely one of those characters that if he, uh, I love him, but if he was real, yeah, I'd, I'd be I'd punching him too. I would not want to <laughs> hang out with a real life snow. Video game Oh my snow? gosh, Fine. no. no. I do not blame her. <laughs> not at all. I would have done the same um, thing. <laughs> but it does seem like Final Fantasy has a lot of characters that are in, you know, they have those implied uh, feelings and stuff like that as well. Right, like, uh, even if you go back to some of the older 2D ones, right, there's a 
a dancer in one of the inns in um, Final Fantasy IV that if you watch her do her dance routine, um, it's revealed that she is either a crossdresser or a transgender. It's hard to say because the game was made in like the early 90s, so who knows? Um, then there's also like Ferris in Final Fantasy V, who maybe if written today would be a trans man, maybe not, maybe just a really big tomboy. Who's to say, you know, these games are a little older and it's <laughs> it's interesting to try and view them through a modern lens. And I, I think, you know, it is modern releases or interpretations of these games would be interesting if 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 and not anything else just to see like what the actual intention was with those characters because they were just small side things for some of them and then ferris was a main party member so okay so yeah i've noticed with uh final fantasy that you know a lot of different characters um or side characters and stuff they have that implied uh sexuality about them um, I do wish it was a little bit more canon, but um, it is nice to still see it, uh, and it, and it, it gives the player that chance to use their own, um, like, their own mindset of it, I guess. Um, right, kind of fill in the blank. It leaves it very open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they've also, I mean a lot of their male characters have always just been very pretty. Like, they're very, um... They're the prettiest boys. <laughs> they are so pretty. Like, there's definitely, like, a feminine uh, touch to them. And I've always liked that as well. That, like, you know, you don't have to be super muscular and um, big. Like, you can be, you know, like Laguna. You can be the pretty little long-haired L'Oreal... <laughs> the Maybelline is it? Maybe it's maybe it's a maybe she's her. Maybe it, it's maybe whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. I don't remember the actual. Yeah, you know. What, yeah. yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, like and like, the, uh, so I've always really liked that. Yeah, and like even like the original concept art that Amano did for the Warrior of Light in Final Fantasy One is like incredibly androgynous. It's like very hard to. Do. It is. Yeah. A lot of his designs are. Yeah. Um, I really like that. Uh, I like because like um, Kuja is one of is my uh, favorite main uh, Final Fantasy villain. Mm. And, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. And uh, he was always, you know, a lot of people when they first play it, they don't. Even, they I, I've heard of people, you know, being like, oh, I thought it was a girl, um, because he has a very. <clears throat> oh my gosh, sorry, my allergies are driving me crazy. Let me start that over. Okay. Um, all right. Going back. Um, so, yeah, like, uh, Kuja is one of my favorite uh, Final Fantasy villains. And he, I've always really loved the way that he looks. Because um, it's not, you know, your stereotypical uh, male look. He's, you know, he's got that very curvy body with like his you know his little stomach showing and like he's wearing purple eyeliner for crying out loud like i love it he got some hips on him too he does i love him i'm so like if they do remake it i'm so excited to see what he's gonna look like i'm just like if they remake it and like 
I'm thinking like the CG scene in in Bermesia after you fight Beatrix for the first time, and like seeing that scene where he like Kuja's like looking over you, like kind of like mocking you. That that's gonna be like amazing. Yes. Oh, I'm gonna love it. That scene sends chills. Like it's such a good scene, and um, so visually. I don't know. They just. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But outside of uh, Final Fantasy, um, like, are there are there any other games that you can think of other than like you know the dating sim games like the Stardew Valley's and Mass Effects? Oh, does Matt? I haven't played Mass Effect. Does have you? I played a like a the tiniest bit of Mass Effect too. I didn't get very much into those. Does it? Does it let you? I don't know how the dating in that game works. Does I? It Mass Effect does allow same sex. Okay. Uh, I know. Does it? Okay. I know one of the latest. I Dragon read that in an article yeah. yesterday. So um, they said that Bioware, I think, jumped on the inclusivity for same sex couples pretty quickly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, I know it's in one of the later Dragon Age games for sure. Well, I like I like that they're starting to do that more for sure. Um, yeah. Because like we talked about with Harvest Moon, it always really upset me that I couldn't be my gender and woo uh, the uh, the cute little girl, the cute little pink haired girl and stuff like that was that was my dream girl. Right, it's like when uh, I was been a long time eight years old. Zona <laughs> games too is that like if most of them are only a male character and you can only romance the female characters, and even though there are some relationships in that game, it would feel incredibly natural to be. Um, gay or lesbian relationships like from i think persona you... 3 portable with the female main character um femsi as people will call her um got totally different um social link endings for the male characters um that were like romanceful it was very interesting to see those but it would have been nice to like have access to both both of those on one character you know be like walked in right gender you play as do, do you do you know if they've improved on that i actually, uh, since I then, actually or... think they've taken a step back on that since then um because burn five that's disappointing not had a female main character and they, they've walked you into only romancing the female characters in the games it's my big hope for six we'll see. i think they're aware that people have been complaining about it for a while now so Hope to see them take that into account, but you never know, Japanese company. Right. Yeah. And honestly, it's like, I mean, putting those choices in games, it doesn't do any harm. It doesn't ruin the story or anything. Um, you're literally just letting the player choose. Um so it's not like it really affects the game itself if you know, if you don't want to make your character have a same-sex uh, relationship, it's right. not like you have to do it then. Right, because they give you, uh, like, friend and relationship endings for each of the social links in the Persona games already. Right, So I would, I would assume that would still be the case if they let you romance same-sex. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, so it's, it's interesting that, um, you know, we get, we get stuck having to choose this like we don't have a choice it's just the straight relationship um so it's like you know why can't we have that choice um 
I don't think it's hurting anybody anyways. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. I mean, ideally, right, you would just make a game where the player has the option to pursue what best reflects them. And you present all the mm-hmm. options to the player. Um, and I think we'll get yeah. there. I think we're, we're taking steps in that direction. Um, you know, Atlas and Sona aside, right? But, um, right. So, um, incremental. Taking that though, right? Yeah. So, taking that uh, thought there, um, what do you think that devs can do to be more inclusive um, with the LGBTQ community? I think the probably the easiest thing to do is to probably just listen to the LGBT employees that they probably already have. There's very Mm -hmm. very unlikely that a a development studio is one hundred percent to straight white men, right? They're, they're right. So you have those voices on your development team at your disposal, and if you're not seriously taking into account what they're saying, and you're doing yourself a disservice for the like the talent and the assets you already have, I think that would probably be like the easiest place to start. Um, I think that while it is nice to have like explicitly told. Um, you know, like, this is our vision, we want this character to canonically be with this character, that's all fine, but there's a lot of games where there's none of that, there's no, like, romance in it at all, so what would be the harm in letting, you know, your character be some flavor of LGBTQ, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point, um, because, like, like you said, if, um, if the romance isn't you know leading the story or part of the story or has anything to do with the story then like what is the harm with that character being you know gay or bi or trans or whatever um not that there's any harm romantically anyways but you know like it makes sense that like why is every single character especially in games like that you know straight cis typically white male like it's very frustrating um that they don't take advantage of that and create think of like just how many more interesting characters um and backgrounds and stories that you can create with that right so it feels like a lot of developers are cutting themselves off from like a wealth of storytelling and character potential um before they even like start by like not considering LGBT. Yeah, they're really they're boxing themselves in yeah. without realizing that's what they're doing. Yeah, I think you've seen like a lot of support and success from uh, independent developers and a couple of mainstream studios that have embraced that and celebrated it. And you know, it doesn't always feel like enough, and sometimes the portrayals feel kind of tropey or whatever. But it's it's better than nothing in a lot of cases, and it's always getting better. So. I'm, I'm I'm optimistic for the future always. Yeah. So here's hoping, you know, maybe like you said um earlier in the episode, you know, that it feels like they've really been stepping towards that in the last ten years. So just imagine where we're gonna be in the next ten years. Right. It's good it, it's good to stay hopeful. That's true. Yeah, and I think we'll probably see more big franchises tackle it last 
right? I think we'll see the groundwork probably be laid in independent games and, and smaller games from big publishers before we see it in, like, most of the big heavy hitters from these companies. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think we're getting there, and sometimes it's easy to get frustrated with, like, the slow pace of progress, but it's important to recognize that there is progress being made and celebrate what we have uh, seen. Yeah, I agree. And that's a good point, too, um, that we should start supporting, as gamers, we should start supporting indie uh, developers and stuff and franchises um, a lot more than we do, uh, especially if they're going to be the ones that are going to make these uh, headways and these changes that we want to see. Um, So, yeah, so I definitely think that uh, representation, it's, um it's a slow it's slowly getting there and um the indie devs are definitely going to be the ones that are going to get us there faster um and we should support that for sure absolutely and i think that when these games have had good representation we've seen them celebrated uh and they've become successful financially as well like celeste was Mm-hmm. a huge hit and it's like it's also it's accessible to like everyone on playstation now it's part of the the new playstation plus premium so you could totally just download that and play it and see see what this character and the story are about yeah and i've i've only heard i've heard um really good things about that game um i've also heard it's really hard that's what i've heard too <laughs> i've heard it's really intense <laughs> yeah um so for you know those people that like really hard games i mean if it's something a little out of what you normally play um if you're a ps plus uh member the premium member uh definitely jump on that just give it a try and it might open you up into a whole new world of games that you know you didn't even know you'd be interested in playing right and if you are a i also want to say just like as an aside that as uh, a trans woman, there have been times where I've felt like excluded from different communities for different things, right? I don't feel really, really welcome in a lot of sports communities, right, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but two of the ones that have been the most welcoming and genuine and heartfelt have been Square Enix-like fandom and the fighting game community. The FGC is an incredible for... Or to me personally, um, seemed like a, a lot of outpouring of support, and I think most of it just comes down to the fact that not a lot of people play fighting games seriously, so they'll take anyone. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, cool, you play fighting That's games, awesome great. That I... <laughs> That's awesome, though, that uh, they're so welcoming. Like, honestly, I. I don't know. I would have thought that um, I would have felt like it was just a lot of like testosterone, but you know, you're right. I guess they really don't take themselves too seriously. They're so um, sweet. All, every time, every time I met someone who's like, says like, Oh yeah, I'm part of the FGC. They're just like the sweetest person I've ever met. And every time. That's so awesome. Um, and that's cool that the final fantasy community has been very opening and welcoming to that as well. Um, there are a lot of, uh, I noticed, like when you were talking about 10-2, um, there are a lot of people that are part of the LGBTQ community that just 
those kind of games really resonate with them. Um, I've noticed that Final Fantasy 13 is another one, um, and Final Fantasy 15. I guess the newer ones are the ones that a lot of people really resonate with. Yeah, I think that the with the like enhanced presentation of the characters and story, that it's easier for people to like uh, have these interpretations of these characters, right? To feel to feel that maybe a little harder with like some of the older ones that are text-based you know and it's just like whatever whatever vision you have in your head when you're reading them can be different than whatever is being explicitly right. presented which is interesting and um i'd like to say that the kingdom hearts community has also been very welcoming to me as well um you know it feels like cheating because it's like half of the final fantasy community anyway <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's definitely gaining its own little name there since they've started taking uh, Final Fantasy characters out of it. Um, like, it's definitely trying to become its own thing. And I can I can see, as well, um, them being a lot more welcoming. Uh, that's another series, for sure, too, that um, has that heavily implied, um, you know, uh, representation because i know a lot of people really ship uh roxas and sora together roxas and axel is another popular one as well at least when i was younger oh yeah i could see that too um like Um, also like a lot of the messaging in that game is like about found family right like the the family mm -hmm. you make with the the people close to the friends that are close to you and that that's something that also resonates quite deeply with a lot of lgbtq people um it is. A lot um, of us there's a lot of like uh and we have Oh no, go ahead. Sorry. I mean like a lot of us lose our family or friends or jobs or you know, whatever when we come out. Some of us don't. I was very lucky and I haven't really lost a lot in that way. But some people have and they make a, a new family, a, a chosen family of like friends and people that are supportive of them. That message is like heavily throughout Kingdom Hearts. And it's uh you know, it feels it feels natural and accepting for for us to be in that community. It does, uh, and I it, it focuses a lot too um, of you know being true to yourself, um, Sora, especially you know with everybody you know being copies of one another kind of thing, and um, they you know, these copies, they want to be their own person. They want, they don't want to be like what they were written to be. Um, and I can see that also being very resonating and striking as well. Right. Yeah. Like a lot of the organization members, right? Like rocks, the beginning of rocks story yeah. he's like being the box is being built around him, right? He sees it happening mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he doesn't like it. And he deforges his own path. And, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, resonates a lot for, for people. So I think that could also be something that devs can focus on, too, is stories of um, breaking out, like, of characters breaking out of, you know, the boxes that were made for them and um, letting them, like, find their own path and, like, choose their own path of, like, who they want to be. Right, and those are stories that while not explicitly queer, will resonate deeply with queer people. And I think that if you're not going to make explicit representation, 
doing something like that is still meaningful. All right. Well, with that note, I uh, just wanted to say thank you for coming on, Sarah. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. It was so fun. I really... Yeah, it was great. And you had a lot of really wonderful opinions and thoughts. And I think if any gaming devs are listening to this episode to really listen to what you had to say, I think you had a lot of really wonderful insight. Um, And for anyone else that wants to give Sarah a follow, you enjoyed hearing what she said, maybe you want to get to know her a little bit better, um, you can check out her Twitter, which is at uh, Street Shop Kid. And with that, we're going to head out. Be sure to check in to our next episode next week, which is the Geek Spot. And that's going to be with two of mine and Brad's friends on Twitter that if you've been around the gaming community, you've definitely seen them. And we're super excited to have them on. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Follow the Geekly Podcast on Twitter at geekly underscore podcast and subscribe on your favorite podcast apps such as Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Amazon Music.